Um, we're starting a series today and, and next week that's called One, because change has to start somewhere. And what if that change started in me and in you? In the year 2000, um, there was a movie that came out. And it was about a seventh grade teacher who challenged his class to think, each kid in the seventh grade class, to think of one thing that they could do that would change the world. And they were supposed to write an essay on it, present it to the class, and then everybody do that one thing. And so these kids started coming up with good ideas. One girl, you know, said, you know, what if we planted a tree? You know, and that tree would grow. You know, we would all agree that trees are being cut down at an alarming rate and our environment is in danger or pollution. And so what if we, each one of us, planted a tree, you know, we could make our world a healthier place? And one little smart-aleck little boy said, what if we collected everybody in our country and we had them jump up and down at the same time, and then that would cause the earth to fly out of its orbit and take us spiraling into space? I don't know where kids get these kind of imaginations or whatever. But that was his one thing that he could do to make a difference. And then there was this kid in the class, his name was Trevor. And the movie was about this kid named Trevor who said, he said, what if each one of us helped three people in really big ways? That if, that what if me, as a seventh grade boy, chose three people and I did three huge things to help those three people? And then those three people did huge things to help three more people and those three people that helped three people and those th- he said the multiplication the change the, the 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 chain of events would make a difference all over and that's what this movie was about about this boy named Trevor who who helped his mother who was a struggling alcoholic who helped a homeless man and who helped his teacher find love and the movie was chronicling all these things that happened across the country because this one boy did three huge things for three people. Here's the thing that Trevor discovered. Is is that for change to happen in other people's lives, it had to start with him. That he had to change. That he had to stop being selfish and start thinking about other people. And he had to actually sacrifice. Does anybody remember the name of that movie? Anybody know? Pay it for it. Yeah, it's, if you haven't seen it, you gotta rent it. It's a, it's a great, classic, fun movie. He couldn't, we, look, we all agree, right? Stuff needs to change. I mean, we look at this world that we live in, and we would all say, look, this world needs to change. There are way too many orphans and kids in foster care in our country. That needs to change. We, we, we understand the fact, and if you don't know this, you need to be aware that there are more slaves today in the modern world than ever before. And that there is actually a slave epidemic happening here in our country with the teenage sex slave trade. It is an epidemic, it is an issue, and it has to stop. Something has to happen. We agree that that our environment, that we need to change the way we treat our world, that clean water is an issue, that, that, that all these things, we could go on and on and on, and we could all come up with things that need, that need to change. And they're so big. I mean, it almost seems overwhelming when we start, we agree that, that we want stuff to be better, that we want change, that we want healing, that we want peace. But here's the deal. All those things start with me and they start with you change has to start somewhere 
I don't remember where or when, but in some sermon when I was, I don't know how long ago, it, I just remember the illustration. A pastor was talking about this man. It's this man because this man is just a person. He said this man wanted to change the world. And he set out to change the world. But he realized that the world was too big. There was, there was no way that this one guy could impact the world. And so he, came, he became discouraged. He said, you know, I can't change the world. But, but what if, I, I mean, I really believe that change needs to happen. And so, so what if instead of changing the world, what if I just change my community? But he realized that his community was just made up of a lot of diverse people that had so many different needs and he wasn't going to be able to help all these different needs. So what could he really do to change the community? So he said, I can't change the world. I can't change the community. What if, what if I change my family? Now we all know how that goes, right? When we decide we want to change our family. You know, and he, he, he got it. He's like, I'm going to change my wife. I'm going to change my kids. We're going to change together. And, and he said that. You know, changing his family. And it didn't go good at all. So he became discouraged. And he fell on his knees before God. And he said, God, I want to change the world. I want to change the community. I want to change my family. What do I need to do? God said, you need to change you. You change you. Who you are how you treat people, how you love, you change you, and he changed. It wasn't quick, and it wasn't overnight, but as he changed, he realized that his family became different. So he loved his wife, and honored his kids, and cherished the people God put in his life, and he realized that his family was a better family, and his family made a difference in his community, and so his community began to change, and it didn't change the world, but it changed his world. And it all started with him. It's change. What if we said, God, yes, change me. Look at your notes. What if we said, God, change our attitude. What if we took our attitude from a can't attitude to a cannot not attitude? I mean, that can't attitude says, I, I can't do it. It's too big. It's too great. It's too huge. I, I don't have the ability. I don't have the money. I don't have the finances. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. How many of you sometimes get stuck in the can't? We see all the problems. I can't, I can't. There's nothing. I can't do this. But what if we said, God, change our attitude from can't to I cannot not? I think that's the right way to say it. I cannot not do something. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to do something because something has to be done. I cannot not. I can't sit on my hands any longer. What if we said, God, change our mindset from no way to how? There's no way this can be done. Have you ever looked at a problem and just said, there's no way? There's no way this can be fixed. There's no way this can get better. There's no way the finances can happen. There's no way. 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 What if we stop saying no way and we say, how, God? How? How do you want to use us? How do you want to use me? How do you want to do this thing? What if we changed our mindset? What if we changed the way we see people? You know, when we look at others and those that aren't like us or have made poor choices in their lives and have caused their own pain and their own misery and and they kind of deserve it, and we kind of just look at them with pity. What Instead of looking at people with pity, what if we saw them the way God does? With value and love. Instead of seeing an enemy, seeing a broken person through the eyes of Jesus. 
What if we said, God, change our hearts? I don't know about you, but life, man, it can make your heart hard, calloused. You keep going through stuff over and over and over again. And man, it just builds these walls around you. And, and stuff doesn't affect you the way that it should. And you see these pain and you see this stuff. And, and, and some of it's our jobs. We see the junk of our world over and over and over again. And we just get a hard heart. We say, I don't, I don't, this doesn't affect me anymore. But what if we said, God, break my heart from this hardness to a brokenness? A broken peace in the hands of a loving God and say, God, use my brokenness to help other people. What if we said, God, change our hearts or change our will? I'm just going to confess, my sin of choice is laziness. It is. I don't like it. And I want God to change it in me. But, but what if we said, God, change our will from lazy and just watching life happen around us to saying, to saying I'm determined I'm determined. Life is too short. There are too many people that need to receive God's love, that need to hear His grace. Too much needs to be changed for me to just sit by and let life happen. What if? See, change, it starts with me. The Scripture is full of people who experience change and God used to change this world. Moses, a runaway murderer that God used to free His people. We talk about him all the time, right? Gideon, a scared person that was, he called himself the least of his people and the least of his tribe and the least of his, of his family. I mean, he was, he saw himself as the least. He was so afraid of, of these outside people that were raiding the, the, the people of Israel that, that he was in a well, in a big cistern sifting wheat because he knew if he did it out in the open where it should be done so that the wind can properly do its work, that, that they may see him and take what he had. And so he was doing it in hiding. He was scared. And this angel of the Lord approached him and said, Gideon, you mighty warrior, I'm going to use you to drive out these people from, from, from Israel's land. I'm going to use you to, to free these people from oppression. He's like, God, you got some, you, you've, you got the wrong guy. Read the story of Gideon this week and see how God used the change that came over him and the change that it caused all throughout God's people's it's a guy like, it was Nehemiah, who was a prophet of the Lord in a faraway land whose God breaks his heart about the walls of Jerusalem being down and broken. And God using him to rebuild those walls, to create change. It's a dude named Paul in the New Testament, who God changed from Saul to Paul that he used to write the vast majority of the New Testament, all the letters that are written. It's change. Change, starting with one person in their life. God using them to do something. It's the power of one. We're going to read about a guy named Jonathan who God used. And we're going to look at his story and just real quickly pull out some things that God did in him and through him to create change. This is what the scripture says. If you have your notes, you can follow along with me. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1 through 14. It says, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was going to stay on the outskirts. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. 
Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. And Jonathan said, come then. We'll cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to see you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outposts and look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. What can we learn about change from the story of Jonathan slaying these Philistines? And just the first thing is this is if you want to see change in you, in the world, or in your family, then you have to embrace your holy discontent. You have to embrace your holy discontent. The first person I ever heard use this term, holy discontent, was Bill Hybels. He said this holy dis- discontent, it's, it's what you see, that when you see it, you say, man, that is so wrong, and it just burns something up inside of you, and I have to do something about it. And so when we see that thing and we experience that thing, we need to embrace it instead of turning our heads or turning the channel. It's like, you know, when you're a kid and you're staying home from school, you know, and it's like two in the afternoon. It seemed to always happen like in the afternoon. Um, that, that commercial would come on with like the kittens and the dogs for the SPCA or, or Sally Struthers or something like that would, would do the commercial about the African kids, you know, asking for money. I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, as soon as that thing came on, man, I was flipping the channel. I didn't have time to make the, I was home from school. I didn't want to be sad, right? But instead of turning the channel, what if we embraced it? We embrace that thing that we said is, it's wrong. We see a homeless person and we're driving our car instead of, you know, sitting at the stoplight, instead of like not making eye contact with them because we're afraid that we might have to do something if they see us seeing them. You know, we, we act like we're on the phone. But what if we, instead of turning our head, what if we turn towards and say, God, what do you want me to do to help and to make a difference in this person's life if that's what God's calling you to do? We look at it, we study it, we embrace it. That's what Jonathan does here. Look at the story. Jonathan says, come. Let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. You can't read that without reading a hint of disgust inside of him. Saying, these guys aren't supposed to be here. This is our land. This is our place. They're on our territory. They set up an outpost where they're not. We're taking them down, these uncircumcised boys. You see, your, your heart has to want to change. This is not okay. It's not all right. Something has to be done. It's like, I mean, everybody remember the Popeye, Popeye cartoons back in the day, right? Anybody watch Popeye? Am I the only one that watched Popeye? A few of you did. Popeye, you know, Brutus would be like, you know, abusing him or somebody else or he'd take an olive oil or whatever and he's slapping Popeye around and Popeye gets to the place where he's like, ah! And then he says, he says, I can't, this is all I can stands and I can't stands no more. I can't do a Popeye voice. A pirate, I can't do it. 
But he gets to that place and he grabs the, 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 the spinach and he crushes the can and it flies up in the air and it all goes in one glup, glup, glup in his mouth and all of a sudden he's like, ah! What if we had that idea? What if we said, this is all I can stand. And I can't stand anymore. This is not okay. God, use me to do, change begins there. With that spirit of not turning away, but turning towards and saying, God, use me. See, not only do we need to embrace our holy addiction, but we need to create a plan. Jonathan had a plan. Now, his plan was a little messed up. He said, come, we'll cross over towards them, and if they say to us, wait there, come to see you, we'll stay there, and we'll not go up to them, but there's going to be a fight. But if you say, come up to us, we'll climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So one way or the other, i got a plan. If I stay down here and they come down, we're going to fight. Or if they tell us to go up there, the Lord's div- we're going to fight there too. He had a plan. Plans matter. They matter. I heard somebody tell me once, I don't know if it was a therapist or a counselor or my wife or a pastor, I don't know. Um, it was, somebody once said that the difference between a wish... And a want is a plan. The difference between a wish, I wish, I wish things would be different. I wish my family would get their acts to, I wish, you know, I would do better in school. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. The difference between a wish and a want, it's a plan. I want things to be different. Then we make a plan. I want my family, then we make a plan. I want to be healthier, then we make a plan. I want to help my neighbors, and we make a plan. The difference between a wish and a want is we make a plan. Scripture says that without vision, the people perish. What's the vision? The vision's the idea. It's the plan. It's where we're going. It's how we're going to get there. That's the vision. And the Scripture says that without that, people fall. People die. People wonder. But when we have that vision, when we have that plan, when we have that desire, when we have that future that we want to go towards, we have that plan, man. That's when life happens. That's when change happens. What's the idea? How can I make this happen? It's not going to happen on its own. It comes with a plan. Third thing we do is we count the cost. Look, anything worth attaining takes effort. Effort that comes at a cost. What are you willing to give to make it happen? You know, I've heard, I haven't experienced this in a while, but Bill, I've heard that working out hurts. I haven't experienced it in a while. I know you're always hurting yourself. But working out hurts. When you push your muscles, guess what happens? They push back. They hurt. They ache. That's a part of the process of healing. How many of you have ever gone through rehab through something? You had a surgery or a knee or whatever, and you had to do rehab. What is the pain? The pain is your body getting better. It's rubbing out the scar tissue. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the muscles binding together. It's them being stretched and pulled and made stronger. And here's the thing, is that that hurts. But it's worth it. Anything worth attaining comes at a cost. Jonathan is under no illusion that this is going to be easy. What does he tell his armor bearer? He says, let's come over. Come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. And then he says, perhaps... Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. 
Perhaps God will save us. Perhaps God will use us. But even if he doesn't, man, we're going to go down swinging and fighting. I would probably say that Jonathan and his armor bearer got nicked up a time or two. That there were a few bruises from this battle. I can't imagine them just walking away without any kind of scars or without any kind of wounds. Anything worth attaining comes at a cost. It's work. But it's worth the effort. It's too important to let go. What's it going to cost? What's it going to cost to get healthy? What's it going to cost to grow and expand as a church? What's it going to cost? And then all of us have to look and we have to say, is it worth it? Am I all in? Is God using us? Is it, is it, are we in? Does, is it worth it? And then we move if it is. We push. We sacrifice. Because anything worth attaining comes at a cost. Another thing we learn from this story is that if we want to see change in us or in the people around us, then we have to engage accountability. I've learned this truth a hard way. Anything I want to succeed at, I need other people to accomplish. I am at my best when other people are around me. I can't do it on my own. It's simple and true. Jonathan looks and he says, it says, one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, he said to his young man bearing his armor, He didn't say, hey, buddy, you just wait here for me. I'm going to go take care of this. You just chill out here with my dad underneath this tree or whatever dad's doing. He's not taking care of business, right? No. He says, come, I need you. We're doing this together. A high percentage of people fail at their commitments because their commitments are private. They shouldn't be private. They should be personal, but not private. 119 times in the New Testament, the scriptures use the word one another. Think about that. 119 times throughout the, the scriptures, Jesus or, the, or, the, or Paul, the author of the New Testament, says one another over and over and over again. One another. One, you encourage one another. Help one another. Pray for one another. Work with one another. Serve one another. You kind of get the idea he's trying to tell us something, don't you think? if he says it over and over and over and over again. He even demonstrated it. Jesus, he says, and Jesus went around, Mark 6, 7, teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. I mean, think of it this way. If he would have sent them out one by one, guess what? They would have, they would have gone further and impacted more people, right? They would have had a larger range of influence if they went out one by one. But Jesus didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out two by two. Because I believe that Jesus understood. And all throughout the New Testament, he tells us we need each other. If you want to be effective, if you want to grow, if you want to change, God has given us a great authority in this world. But we need each other to accomplish it. Me and you. You and you. Working together for the kingdom. Here's another thought. At some point, if you want to make change, at some point you want to see something different in this world or in yourself, you just have to make the move. Scripture says that Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer. Can I just say Jonathan wasn't in the best position for a fight, right? Whoever has a higher ground has has the leverage. Jonathan climbing up, hands and feet, getting to the top. He's got to be worn out just from the climb, slaying people left and right. At some point, you just have to make the move. At some point, you just got to Nike it, right? Nike slogan, what is it? 
Just do it. At some point, you just have to move and do it. You just have to change. You just have to give. You just have to sacrifice. You just have to say, look, enough planning, enough ideas. It's time to make the move. It's time to see God use us in a great way. I can think about helping people all the time, right? And it feels good to think about it. But at some point, I just got to help somebody. Here's the problem. Is that sometimes we get frozen by the idea that we have to do something grand and magnificent so we do nothing at all. It's got to be big. It's got to be huge. It's got to be amazing. And then we never do the big, huge, and amazing. What if we just did the small stuff with big, huge, and amazing love? Small. Mike Iaconelli, who's like the father of modern youth ministry, a pastor in California, died about 10 years ago. In one of his books, he wrote a story about a guy named Daryl in this church. The story goes that, that Daryl, Mike Iaconelli's church, had a ministry to, um, to retirement homes. And uh, they would go on Saturday and they would do a service and, you know, some people in his church would sing and some people in his church would preach and some people in his church would just love on people and go room to room and encourage them and bring them flowers, just whatever that person could do. Daryl was a guy that went, that he didn't feel like he had a whole lot of gifts and a whole lot of abilities. He couldn't sing, he couldn't preach, he was kind of shy and he was in his late 40s, early 50s and so all he did was he would just stand in the back leaning up against the wall. Mike Iaconelli tells the story that their first, Daryl's first Saturday there, he's leaning up against the wall, his foot propped up, and a nurse wheels an old man in a wheelchair and puts him right next to Daryl as he's standing there. And as Daryl is standing and they're singing these worship songs, these hymns, you know, together, the old man reaches up and grabs Daryl by the hand. And they hold hands as they sing. And Daryl comes back week after week after week. And week after week after week, the same nurse or a different nurse would wheel the same man right next to Daryl. And and after a while, Daryl didn't wait for the old man to reach up and grab his hand. He started reaching down and grabbing the old man's hand. Week after week, holding his hand, singing songs about Jesus. Mike says in his story that, that, that one Saturday, the old man didn't come wheeled out. And the service is 5, 10, 15 minutes in, and Daryl starts getting a little freaked out. Where's, where's the man that I hold his hand? And so he went back, and he asked the nurse, Ma'am, you, you wheel this man to hold my hand every single week. He's not here. Where's his room? And so she takes him back to his room, and there he is laying in a coma in his bed. And, and they could still hear the worship service going on. They could still hear the preaching going on. And so he just sat next to the man during the whole service and he just grabbed his hand and he held it. As he was holding this man's hand, this, this 20-something-year-old girl walks in and says, you must be Daryl. I was like, how in the world do you know my name? I've never met you before. She said, this week... I came in to visit my grandpa. He hasn't been doing good. He's been slipping in and out of a coma and just, you know, being lucid in the nod. And in one of his moments of clarity, you know how it is, you know, their eyes brighten up and they start talking, you know, and just making those connections. She said, my grandpa looked at me and she said, make sure you tell Jesus bye for me. And I said, grandpa, it's okay. 
You're going to see Jesus soon. You tell him hi for me. It's okay. And he said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Tell Jesus bye for me. She's like, okay. And he kind of slipped back and went back to sleep. And then he woke up, you know, an hour longer. I was still in the room. And he said, make sure and tell Jesus bye for me. If I'm not there on Saturday, he will miss me. Now this has really got a puzzle because now she has a day along with Jesus. And she's, sir, what happens on Saturdays that my grandpa thinks that Jesus is going to be there? And so when my grandpa went back to sleep, I went and found a nurse and I said, tell me about my grandpa's Saturday. What happens on Saturdays? He thinks he's going to miss Jesus. And then she told me about you, Daryl, and how you hold my grandpa's hand. And he thinks you're Jesus. Because you are. Hmm. Daryl, the guy in the back of the room who couldn't, couldn't hold a note, didn't have any kind of preaching ability, just holding an old man's hand, becoming Jesus to a man who desperately needed to experience him. At some point, we just have to make the move. We just have to be Jesus. We just have to change. Here's a last thought. So if you want to see change in your life or in the life of the people you care about or in this world or anywhere, you have to lean into God. What what does Jonathan say? He says, climb up after me, looking at his armor bearer. And he says, the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Jonathan was under no illusion who was going to win that battle that day. He wasn't leaning in on his own strength and his own ability. He wasn't saying, hey, I got what it takes to take these dudes out. He just said, maybe God. Maybe God. What if we had that spirit, that attitude, where we said, maybe God. Maybe God would show up. Maybe God would use me to do something great. I can't do it in my own strength. Anything worth achieving in this world, we can't do on our own, in our own strength. Change in me, not going to happen in my own ability. But through the power of God, it can happen. Change in my family or in my community or my neighborhood. I can't, I can't create change, but God can. That's what he does. He's a change maker. He changes. Ministry is hard. And I think every week I think about the families that need healing and need a touch and who are going through difficult moments. And, and I think there's nothing I can say to these people to make them feel better. I mean, there's a few things that I can say, but the truth is that any kind of change, any kind of hope, any kind of life, any kind of breaking of addiction or whatever, that's only going to happen through God, through His Spirit creating change in us. Some days, I mean, this is too hard. I can't do it. But I know God's grace and His mercy and how rich and powerful He is and how giving and how desperately He wants to love people through me. I say, okay, God, I'm going to lean into you. And so should you. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians 6.10. excuse me. He says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He doesn't say be strong in yourself. He doesn't say be strong in your own ideas and your own ability or even in the gifts I've given you. Don't be strong in those things. Be strong in the Lord. And in his, this is a final word, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power.
Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 14, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my... Do you get the picture of what Jesus is trying to say here? Ask for anything in my power, in my name. You're going to do great things in this world, not because of your own ability, your own strength, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. What great thing is God calling you to be a part of? What great change does God want to be in your life and in your family? Change begins with you, in you, and through you. This morning as we respond, I just want you to ask the question, Lord, what change do you want to create in me? What change do you want to create through me? And as we pray here in a few moments, um, after we pray, if you want to take communion as a family, or if you want to sit where you are and just focus in on the Holy Spirit, or if you have something you want me to pray about, I'll be right back there. I would love to do so. But just know that God has a change that he wants to start. It's the power of one change has to start somewhere it can start with you and me